I was really into theater and the dramatic arts when I was in high school. Shocker, I know. We had, you know, speech club, we had debate club and that sort of thing, but my thing was, was, was dramatic arts, loved that. I was, in a, uh, I was brought into a group, a club called the Thespians, T-H-E-S-P-I-A-N-S. Is that how you spell that? The Thespians, hard to say. But um, it, was, it was a cool group, you know, like-minded people, loved to do theater, we loved Shakespeare and all that. But one of the things I loved about that club was we would every year have new students coming in that wanted to join the club. Well, you can't just be in the club. There's some initiation that needed to happen, you know, some rites of passage before we'd let you in to our exclusive club of dramatical people. And so I remember when I was initiated into the club, it was embarrassing. I had to wear like a weird hat and had to sit on top of the, the Coke machine for a couple hours. It was like, you know, sort of embarrassing, that sort of thing. So when, when it came time for me to help initiate the new members, I wanted to exact my revenge on said embarrassment. So I had a good friend of mine that was entering, entering the, the, the team, the group. So I took the initiative to be the one to help initiate my friend into this group. And uh, so I had a buddy that had an air horn, and I had an electric guitar with a loud amplifier, and uh, some other folks I brought along with me just yelled really loud. And so at 4 a.m., on a Monday morning, I think, we broke into my friend's house and I got the guitar amp ready to go and he was sleeping in his bed. Completely, just picture the moment here, dreaming, dreaming, and I had the guitar amp ready to go. We had the air horn right beside his head. <laughs> you know you know how this plays out, count of three, chaos ensued. He jumps out of bed, he's freaking out, he thinks like he's being broken into. I'm not sure how he didn't have a heart attack in that moment. In fact, all these years later, my friend still brings up that horrible experience that he had on that 4 a.m. Monday morning initiation into the, the, the drama club. Well, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever had anything like that. Maybe you have better friends than me that wouldn't do that to you. But maybe you've been at some point welcomed in, initiated into a group, a, a guild, a, you know, a union. Uh, there are other things you can join, right? Clubs. Some of you maybe were part of fraternities or sororities, and there's generally. I know now, nowadays you don't. They don't. They don't really want you to do too much initiation type stuff, hazing, all that stuff. That's that's out. That can get really bad. But maybe you've experienced that welcoming into this exclusive group, and part of it is. You're, you're identifying with like-minded people. And so there's, there's something special about that, the sense of welcome, the sense of community, the sense of we all kind of enjoy the same sorts of things. I mean, it's, that's kind of how we develop friendships, isn't it? We have people that kind of like the same things we like. Well, I think there's something in us that we all want to feel welcomed. And, uh, and what I want to talk about today are what we consider the, the, the sacraments of initiation. And some of you grew up with uh, maybe more uh, liturgical church background. The Bauman family, my, my last name's Bauman. I am related to the Bauman Farms people over in Brooks. Uh, they finally give me the family discount on it for all these years of petitioning. Anyway, all they had to do was look at my nose and go, oh yeah, you're a Bauman. But um, my, the Bauman family was all Catholic. And so these are very familiar to me. 
The sacraments of initiation. And sacraments is kind of an older term. It's an ancient term. But the idea are special moments in the spiritual development of people. Now, the church has been using them for a long, long time. And today we're going to talk about just two. Well, we're really one today and one next weekend. Today we're talking about one of those sacraments of initiation, those welcoming moments into the church family, because it's a special family. It's the family of Jesus. He's our king. It's a new kingdom. When Jesus calls us to follow him and he invites us in, he invites us into a new humanity, a new way to be human, a new kingdom. And that's a special welcoming. So we're going to be talking about that today, specifically uh, baptism. And by the way, Baptism and communion are some of those elements, those sacraments, if you will, that sort of um, identify us as a unique church. Uh, Dallas Church, even here in town, some of the ministers have asked us, they've asked me, why do you guys do communion every week? And, uh, you know, tell me about your baptism. So actually, some of those are distinctives for our church family and kind of like-minded churches. But we, we want to elevate how, how special baptism is. But also, this weekly gathering where we share in the communion, the, the bread and the juice, reminds us how Jesus is always sustaining us. And so that's why we do it regularly. But we'll talk about that more next week. But today, I want to welcome you, since we're talking about welcoming. If you're brand new with us, awesome that you're here. I'm Pastor Ben. I want to welcome those online as well. I know a lot of people are able to join digitally. God can work both physically and digitally. We believe in that. Uh, But we're glad you're here. Today, we gather like Christ followers all over the globe. As I've said before, we're like one dysfunctional family of faith lifting up the name of Jesus all over the world. And so we're part of that greater family. Today we're we're worshiping together to lift up the name of Jesus because 2,000 years ago that tomb was empty. Changed human history forever. So we gather like this. So I want to invite you to take a deep breath. One, two, three. Deep breath. Let it out. We call that a reset. Let's pray and uh, get into our message today on the idea of baptism. Father, we come before you. We know that you're good and mighty. We're thankful that you're in charge and we're not. And Father, we gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe, uh, gathered in the name of your Son, to lift him up and to be encouraged and challenged and, and that, Father, your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way, that we would take your love to the ends of the earth. So, Father, empower this gathering as we lean into you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the sacraments. I know sometimes you hear that word and it just sounds, I don't know, ancient it, maybe it sounds too uh, formal. Uh, maybe, maybe you have different opinions when you hear the term sacrament. But it's a really simple idea that they're really sort of this almost uh, more visible sign of God doing some cool stuff. It's like a, a efficacious is the, is the term that you might use. But this idea that it's a testimony to God doing something powerful. Like, hey, this is a signpost that God's involved in doing something great. And there are, uh, depending on on who you talk to, for the most part, there are generally seven sacraments. Does anybody know all the seven sacraments? Have you ever even heard this term before? Somebody's like, I've never heard this term before. I don't know what you're talking about. One of them's marriage. So in the traditional last couple thousand years of the church, uh, some of those have been formalized into marriage. And and I can see where marriage would be kind of like that. It's kind of a big deal. Marriage is this thing where Two crazy sinners are trying to like figure out the life together. That seems like a miracle to me, two becoming one. But that's a, a moment of, of, of kind of divine grace. But there are other ones, like, for instance, the anointing of the sick with oil. Now, that actually shows up only one time in the New Testament. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into our James series in not too long. 
It actually shows up just one time. Kind of an interesting conversation about what it means to be anointed and pray for those who are sick, both physically and spiritually. But those are a couple of other of the seven. But two of the big ones, which is ones that we celebrate often around here, are baptism and communion. We have communion kind of up here in these little cups. And, and baptism is where, you know, several times a year we'll either go to a river or we'll have a, a, a spot here where we'll put a big baptistry. We did that at Easter and we dunk people in the water. And, and some of us kind of wonder, what is that all about? Well, I'm glad you're here today because that's what we're kind of talking about. And those two are considered the sacraments of initiation, the, the, the welcoming into the kingdom, both at the start, which is kind of what baptism is all about, and the sustaining work of Jesus feeding us. And that's what communion is all about. We'll get more into that next weekend. But what's your first thought on baptism? When you hear that term, what do you think of? It's okay, you can yell something. What do you think of? Okay, yeah, Jesus, Jesus did it. Of all the people that you know, didn't have the sin issue to deal with, he's the one that said, hey, we're going to do this. We'll talk about that passage. But yeah, Jesus did it. I don't know about you, but I often, I'm a big fan of movies, and I can't, I, every time I think about baptism, I, it's always this one scene in this movie. Have you guys ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? came out several years ago. I don't remember the exact plot of it all. I just remember some of the characters. I think George Clooney was in it. Kind of these disheveled three dudes that are kind of making their way through life and doing all kinds of goofy stuff. But there's this moment kind of early on in the movie where in the background you got the soundtrack. I think it's Alison Krauss who's like this country artist. And, and she's singing, you know, we go down to the river to pray something about that good old way. I don't even remember. But there's a soundtrack going on, and then you see all these people sort of walking to the water in their white robes. It's kind of old school. We don't necessarily use the white robes anymore, but those are kind of cool, right? It looks cool. So they're walking to the river, and these three dudes are kind of having their own conversation. They're arguing about stuff. And uh, finally, they kind of notice these people are walking by them to the river. And uh, so they kind of get interested in what's going on. They have no idea about any of this. But they see these people walking into the water, and they're getting baptized all in a line. And so one of the three dudes, Delmar, I think, he gets all excited. He jumps in the water, goes running up, gets in the front of the line. He doesn't have a white robe on or anything, but he just gets in the front of the line, and the preacher baptizes him. And here's what he says after he's baptized. Well, boys, I done been redeemed. The preacher done washed my sins and transgressions away. I'm trying to do the accent properly. Just the straight and narrow from here on out, and heaven ever after is my reward. And then he concludes looking at his two buddies and saying, come on in, boys, the water is fine. Y'all remember that movie? When I think of baptism, I can't not think about that particular scene because there's just something raw about that. And he's washing my sins away. And there's certainly an element to baptism that sort of has that sort of picture to it, doesn't it? I mean, you get in the water and you get cleansing. And uh, I was baptized in the Yamhill River not too far from here, and it was kind of cold. Some of you have been baptized, those of you who have, maybe in a river or a lake, or you were baptized here, but those are special moments, and there's something there about washing and cleansing, and even Delmar understood something was happening there, and he didn't even know what he was doing back in the day. Well, baptism, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Oftentimes, baptism gets a little confusing. In the church world, because there's been so many ways and modes of doing it over the years, at least three that I can think of, that some people kind of get confused. And what's also confusing about when you're supposed to do it. 
Like, are you, are you supposed to do it when you're a child? Are you supposed to do it, you know, only as an adult? Are you, are you supposed to do it as a teenager? Uh, are you supposed to do it after a certain amount of classes and that sort of thing? So there's been all kinds of different confusing things around baptism. And I, I understand that. I, I'm, I'm familiar with that. But in baptism, the simple idea is that we're, 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 we're put in the, the water to show this death and burial and then a resurrection. In fact, Romans chapter 6 talks about that. Early on, the church knew that when we're getting into that water, we're showing to the world and to us, and we're having this experience with Jesus of death, burial, but then resurrection. And when we come out of that water, God has done something. God has done something powerful and divine. That coming out, that beautiful new kingdom that we get to walk in. And then we get nourished week by week as the church gathers by reminding us of communion and the Lord's Supper. And these are moments of thanksgiving where Jesus nourishes us. And these are all so special that we as a church really want to celebrate that. I don't really often speak much about baptism. We do it in our starting point class, and then every once in a while somebody will say, hey, I'm kind of curious about baptism. Let's do a little kind of session on it. Um, but it, it, it's fun for me to be able to reaffirm these key moments in our spiritual journey. And many of you, some of you have actually been able to share in some of your baptisms. It's been great. But God does something powerful in that moment, and it's something that we around here, we love. Romans chapter 6, that we were buried with Christ in his death to be raised to new life. It's really like, in the way that I look at baptism, going all in. You're all in. You're saying, I'm putting my entire life in God's hands. I, I love that picture. In fact, we used to sing a, a song about that when I was a kid. He's got the whole world. Come on, anybody? In his Okay, you know the song, okay. Even if you're not really a religious person, you probably might have heard that song. But I, I think about that. When we go all in with baptism, we're, we're kind of saying, I'm putting my life in your hands. Sometimes people will ask me, and I'm, I'm, I have a good relationship with a funeral home here in town. Sometimes they will call me uh, when there's, there's, there's a need for a, a, a pastor to do an officiating, to, to do a funeral, if you will, or a graveside. And sometimes I don't know the person. And so I try to get to know the family. I try to at least have a phone conversation, talk about their memories. But sometimes I don't know about the person who passed away. I don't know about their faith. And one of the things that I often say is, even though I don't know about his or her faith, here's something I know. God's love is so great that it, his love cannot be contained in the four walls of any church building. And that God's love, he loves us more than any of us can even imagine. And your loved one is in the hands of God, which is where we all want to be. There is no one more loving and more powerful. Because I feel like that's about as honest as I can be, that in God's hands is the best place. That's what baptism shows us. We are all in, in his hands, and that's a beautiful mark. To me, these things that we're talking about, these, these sacraments of, of, of initiation, baptism and communion, to me... It's a testimony of our church to the world that our God is a God of abundance, not scarcity. There was a book that I read that I really appreciated by a gal named Tish Harrison Warren. And the book was called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she said, when we come to these moments as a church family, we are seeing the economy of God, which is true abundance. That we will have all we need and more. We have enough to share. That's what these show us. And I love that picture. So let's talk about 
Scripture and baptism. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think those are horrible terms for this. The, the, the Jewish Bible is probably a better term, the Hebrew Bible, and the New Testament scriptures. I actually think First Testament would be better for you know, the first, what, 30-some books, 39 books, and then the New Testament, that's an okay title. But the idea is we have, have this, this story of God's people that eventually leads to Jesus, right? That's what the cover to cover, that's what we're doing. In the early part of the story of God's people, the Hebrew people, they understood the idea of, of ceremonial washing. This was something that they did. In fact, priests had a special arrangement. They needed to do some more special washing because what God wanted them to see is that when you approach me, uh, I want you to know that this is special. And that's really what the book of Leviticus is. That's really kind of like a priest manual, if you will, showing us how what, when we approach God, it's special. And so you care about what you, your, your cleanliness. And in fact, even most Jewish households from, from, from ancient times would often wash their feet before coming into their home. And that would show a respect for the family. It would also show you're kind of, you're kind of leaving, uh, if you will, the, the hard work of the day out. And then you're coming in. And, and by the way, kids, they also wash their hands. Very important, good thing to do. Wash your hands before you, come on, eat, come on. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, but they would wash all, all the time. And, and so they, they connected it, right, with spirituality. They connect, connected the washing, the hands, with, with showing respect. This was a very, a really important part of the, the worshiping community and the people of God. So we fast forward from you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and the people of God. And of course, I'm skipping a lot here. You have Israel. You know some of the story, Moses and Abraham. I'm, I'm skipping a lot in the story, but the Hebrew people understood that washing and using water was an important part of their spiritual life and also even their physical life. Now we skip forward to John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. Uh, by the way, let me pause. Has anybody seen any of the series The Chosen yet? Highly recommend it, by the way. I didn't think that I would say that because sometimes I, I, I don't always appreciate Christian media, but they do a good job. So I encourage you, I'm not going to, no, no spoiler alerts today. But I encourage you to check it out because John the baptizer is in it. And it's pretty interesting. But in the New Testament, John comes along. And he, again, he's, he's a Jewish person. He's a Hebrew person. Uh, in, in the first century, the Jewish people had sort of, not segregated, but they were kind of in their different encampments of belief. You had the Sadducees and Pharisees, which most of us have heard because they show up a lot in the New Testament. But they were more groups. There were the Zealots. Uh, there was also a group called the Essenes. And that's kind of how we got, I believe, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, was that group called the Essenes. But we had all kinds of different groups in Judaism, a little bit, kind of, kind of divided a little bit. John the Baptizer, there was a likely chance he may have been part of the Essenes. And they tended to kind of be outside into the wilderness because they didn't want to associate with, with the priesthood of Jerusalem and the, the Sadducees because they felt like they were corrupted by government. So these groups would kind of be out in the fringes, and John's dad was a priest. So John would have understood the ceremonial washing. He would understand some of that. And so he starts baptizing people in the Jordan River. This is the first century now. And he's baptizing more than just cleansing. Now he starts using language like repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So John sort of takes it up as, as kind of a a son of a priest, and he starts talking about this connection with washing, repentance, and forgiveness of sin. So, so the people are getting now something a little, 
little different than maybe what they grew up with. John is doing something new. And people were so enthralled by what John was saying. You had people from all walks of life. You had soldiers coming, and they're saying, what do we got to do, John? How do, we, how do we walk this way of God? And then you had, like, religious leaders. And then you had the average people coming out to him to be baptized because they noticed something different. God is doing something different. All those are starting to come together. And so John then, one day, he runs into this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus comes to him, and John begins to start to recognize he's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. So John, sort of acting like the prophet, again, calling people to repentance and calling people, hey, if you're a soldier, do the right thing. If you're an average person, you do the right thing. If you're going to charge taxes, only charge what you need to. John was calling people like a good prophet to the way of God. Then here comes Jesus, the Messiah. And John does not want to offer Jesus this baptism thing. And in fact, he starts backpedaling. He says, oh, I'm not worthy enough to even like untie your sandal, which in the day would have been a pretty, pretty big statement because, you know, they're walking in dust all day. Have you ever done that with sandals on? Nasty. But he said, I, I'm not even worthy to do that for you, Jesus. And, and here's what Jesus replies to him. I'm sure maybe with a glint of his eye, a little tinkle in his eye, right? A little, little glimmer in his eye. Jesus says to John the baptizer, he says this in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 3. John, here, here, we're getting into the story, right? John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, and, and yet you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. God is doing something new now. And on this, 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 this special moment of being immersed into water and brought, being brought back up, which would, they would have thought was you know, cleansing and all of those things, added to all that, John's been talking about repentance and forgiveness of sin, and now Jesus is actually fulfilling all righteousness. So you see what's happening now is you're have, having all these wonderful things now being incorporated into this idea of, of baptism. And you have Jesus saying, fulfilling all righteousness. Of all the people who, who experienced baptism all over all of these years, Jesus was the one who didn't need, need to do it because he didn't have sin. But he said to fulfill all righteousness. And when we walk in the steps of Jesus, we too want to do that. So you wonder about, if you've never been baptized, this is, this is part of us following in his footsteps of doing this. A beautiful, a beautiful thing. So Jesus says that to him. And it, let me continue on. I stopped. So, so, so John consented and, and, and baptized Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. Isn't that interesting? Up from the water, then the heavens open, right? And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This was the Messiah. It was sort of an identity marker that this is, God is doing a new thing. There is a new king on the scene in the new kingdom. In fact, that's why later in the early church, they adopted the Greek uh, phrase of euangelion, which is the, the announcement of a new king in a new kingdom. And so now we're seeing this, this beginning of this new kingdom and the spirit of God resting on him. Now, 
a lot of things happen from this point, right? We know in the story of Jesus, if you're not familiar with the Gospels, they're sort of like the four biographies of Jesus. They're all coming from a, a little bit different camera angle, but they're all telling the story of Jesus. And what, what we find, we find Jesus gathering, you know, some, some, some people around him, uh, some, some, some young guys probably, some young teenagers. In fact, there were also women that were all part of his Talmudine, uh, his group, and they were learning the ways of Jesus, right? We know that this all happens, and then we have uh, the horrible events of the cross, and then we have, in Acts chapter 2, this group of people that many of ha- who had been following Jesus, this group of people on Acts chapter 2, uh, they're, they're gathered for a religious festival in Jerusalem. This is what we call, I guess theologians call like the inaugural day of the church. And so Peter is talking, Peter, who was one of the original 12, kind of one of the inner three, he's talking about all the things that scripture was leading up to. He's, he's basically saying, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we've been waiting for, Hebrew people. He is the one. He's going to take care of all of our sin. He did it on the cross. All these daily sacrifices and these things that could never really uh, take care of things, he's done it on the cross. And he's offered us hope and freedom and forgiveness and a new life and a new kingdom, more importantly. Right? That was all that was happening. So Peter's telling the story. And naturally, when people hear some good news, they want to know what to do, which is what they do. At the end of that sermon, uh, they say, well, Peter, what, what do we need to do? And here's, here's him explaining some of our response in faith. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to him, to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. We've heard that before. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's just taking it up a level now. In that sentence, he's saying, actually, God comes now to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit takes up dwelling. It used to be, we were used to God meeting us in a temple or a tent, or we had to do all these things to kind of get, uh, get close to God. Now he's saying, actually, God comes to take residence in you. So he takes all of what we've already known about baptism all these years, the, the cleansing and all of that and the testimony, and now it becomes an identity marker of the followers of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is, kind of controls the rest of the story in Scripture. From here on out, Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. And all the way through, Paul writing to the early churches and explaining how the Holy Spirit's empowering us to do countercultural things like love, joy, peace, patience. Come on, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, love. The new ways of the kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. So that then takes over from Acts all the way through to Revelation. And what we see is when people are responding to God, one of the first things they do is they want to know what they can do. We always want to know that. What do we do? What's our response? And yes, belief is a big one. Trusting God is who he says he is, right? We know this to be true. Repenting of our sin. We want to go the other direction because our direction did not work out well. And we want to confess to everybody who will listen, yes, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Those are all part of it. But then what do we do? One of those wonderful action items And this doesn't save you. It's weird. We get into this weird uh, conversation about people saying, well, you know, do you have to be baptized a certain way before God will, will, will save you? Salvation is always God's business. God is the one who saves you. But he's asked us to respond. And so this idea of us going into the water is that response. 
People wanted to be baptized, sometimes right away. They barely even heard much of Jesus. And they're like, what do we do? And what's, what do we do? We get, we get in the water. And, and all of those things are true. Repentance and confession, those are all important. But that's one, one of those visible things that people wanted to now start a new journey. And baptism was that beautiful moment. And it is true that when you look at the New Testament, you do sometimes find whole households being baptized. And I would, I would be very surprised if children were not involved in that. And I know that sometimes I get that question a lot. You know, do children be baptized? And some people get that confused a little bit. But one of the biggest spiritual influences on children isn't a preacher. It's mom and dad, grandpa and grandma. So it makes complete sense to me that some of those moments we see in Acts where the whole family is baptized, it's because mom and dad realize their role is to train up those children in the way they should go. So I don't really have a problem with those kiddos being baptized. Now, around here, we do try to make sure that you, you know what you're doing. Like you, I think that's important. And sometimes parents will ask me, what's that age where, where children really know what's going on? I don't know that I can answer that for you. We kind of rely on mom and dad and grandparents to know kind of where their, where their child is at. And no, I don't think they have to know everything. But when they're making a, a decision of faith, you're joining the household of God in a new family. And we're all part of helping raise, raise those kiddos up. That's why we do kids ministry, why we do youth ministry, helping those kiddos understand how to walk the way of Jesus in our crazy culture. So my only point with all of that, you're like, where are we going with all this? Baptism is scriptural and is very important. Sometimes churches go two different directions. They either underemphasize it like it's not that important and just do it sometime when you get a chance, or they overemphasize it. And I've been part of churches that overemphasize baptism almost to the point where if you didn't get baptized in a lot of water, immersed for so many seconds, and the right phrase was said, you weren't really saved. Now, I've thought about that later. I'm like, wow, that is not okay. That is not, that's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, do you know that even a thief on a cross who never touched the water can be saved? What does that tell us? Salvation is always in God's hands. It's always a gift. It's not what we do. But he does call us, and we can, to obey, right? Fulfill all righteousness. We have a role to play. He wants to partner with us crazy humans in this, and that involves action sometimes. And baptism is a beautiful thing. You know, Jesus calls us to much more difficult things than just getting down in the water. He also said things like, for instance... Take up your cross daily and follow me. This is not the easy way, but it's a beautiful way. And he's called us into this new way to be human. So let me just address this. Baptism is important, right? Ephesians 4.4, if you've ever, never read this passage, but just listen to this passage as it goes by. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's a pretty elevated list for baptism to show up. So we, we don't underemphasize it, we don't overemphasize it, we put it where it needs to be as a response to the goodness of Jesus. And it's always a God that saves you. But let me just once again encourage you, if you've never done that, taken that step, it's a beautiful beautiful thing and it shows so much. The reason that baptism, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, part of the reason that baptism sometimes gets so confusing is that over the years churches have done different things with it. For instance, in, in more of your traditional Catholic uh, uh, traditions, they, they would baptize infants to take care of something we, we would call original sin. 
And that's a whole, I don't have the time to unpack that theological concept, uh, but, uh, but they, would, they would do it for there, thinking that, you know, it, it goes so deep. I, can, I don't even have the time. I can't even, I shouldn't have probably said that. But you have some traditions that have different beliefs about it. Uh, we don't believe that around here. But they would baptize. Now, sometimes, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Again, I think sometimes when children are baptized, it's a reminder to moms and dads, you have a role to play. That's why here we do child dedications. Because moms and dads, you're the number, grandparents, you can be the number one influencer on your children. So I don't think that these people have done something bad or whatever if they have their infant baptized. I don't think God plays that game anyway. But you have some traditions with baptism that makes it confusing today. Because some, again, would baptize as children, usually they sprinkle with some water. Other traditions, like Lutheran traditions, um, would, would pour. So you'd actually have a robe on. I think it's usually a white robe, and they would pour it over your head. You know, kind of showing an anointing over you. And I don't think that's a horrible picture. Uh, but again, that's a tradition. And then, of course, the tradition that we've embraced, which is just kind of a simple, whatever the word says in the Bible, that's what we do, immersion, which is all the way under the water, usually in a large amount of water, recognizing that it's always God who saves, not us. But that's the mode that we see in the New Testament. So that's, that's one of our distinctives of the church. We, we see that done in the New Testament, and that's the way that we do it. And so, but it's gotten con, con confusing. When, when the first English versions of the Bible came out, do you know that the Bible originally, the documents, original documents, were not written originally in English? So, th so that means we're always a translating community, by the way. We've been doing that for a long time. So the originals were in languages like Hebrew um, and Aramaic, and Greek. Who speaks those really well? Not, not too many of us, and I took three years of Greek. My professors would be very sad. <laughs> but we never learned to speak it, though. But those languages need to be translated, right? So when you, when, when you look at the first English translations, we're putting it into our language. Decisions had to be made. Sometimes Greek words and Hebrew words and Aramaic words don't exactly translate well. So with the word baptism, do you know what the Greek word for that is? Baptizo. So what they did, because of all those three modes that we just talked about, to avoid controversy, they created an English word that we now know as baptism to get around the controversy of the different modes of so they were trying to avoid controversy and, try, and maybe for a mark of unity. I don't know if they were trying to do it in an evil way. But what happened is then people were confused by what it actually says. Immersion is actually what baptizo means. So that's, what, that's the way we do it here. Um, fun fact, side note. We found an ancient recipe for pickles in the first century, Koine Greek. And guess what it says you're supposed to do with the cucumber and the liquid? What, what's the word? Baptizo. So, I mean, I know that may not be the, the strongest argument for you, but that's a pretty, I mean, and look, when, look, we know that death is usually, they, they, they put you down. And then, so that's the way we do it around here. I, I could belabor that point, but that's, that's the way we do it. Do, do other people that do it differently, are they bad? No. Look, salvation is never ours. It's always God's. But these are, when we, we, will, we obey, we want to try to walk in the same steps that Jesus did. That's why we, we do that. It's our identity marker. It's the way we experience Jesus. So I don't know where you're at on how you view baptism, whether you've been baptized a long time ago or you still haven't done that yet. I would encourage you to do that because here's what it does. It says to God in the world that I'm all in. 
That's the way I like to explain it. We, I usually talk about baptism in our starting point class or just in our baptism class. And that, that's the, the, the phrase I like to use is we need to go all in. This is going on. It's like putting your life into God's hands. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song, right? Put the whole world in his hands. And that's the way I think of it. So baptism is a way for us to go all in. And then as we'll see even next week, we live all in. We're sustained by the life of Jesus and his body right here. So those are beautiful things. So as a church, we celebrate those. We don't try to minimize them or take them to weird extremes. We celebrate those, that we go all in and we live all in. Imagine a group of people, even us, that are all in, that we trust that we're in God's hands, and that means we might even take a risk to love our neighbor. I used to, when I was a kid, I was first discovering the ways of Jesus, and this will be my last point. But I, I was younger, maybe 15, 16, and they used to do these rallies in the Portland area, and they were called Purple Rallies. Anybody in this room ever hear of Purple Rallies? I am one of the few, okay. Well, the reason they called them Purple Rallies is it was trying to get Christians together to, to do a couple things. To, to be able to get kids in the room and go, oh, we're not alone, that's a good thing. And it was also, hey, let's live differently. And the point of Purple Rallies, why they call it that, is they were saying, look, if we were all, when we got baptized in the water, if when we were under the water, suddenly we became purple and came up out of that water, how would that change how we lived? Because then the whole world and community would know we have said yes to Jesus. And so when I'm driving or when I'm at this restaurant or when I'm at home or when I'm on the baseball fields, I have been baptized into Jesus and I live differently. Now, I'm not suggesting we do that all purple, but I wonder sometimes about that. That's stuck with me. You've been, been, are you living the way of Jesus at home? Are you living the way of Jesus on the ball fields or at, at the community events? Or when I'm driving, am I living the way of Jesus? Because if we were all purple when we came out of that water, we would, we would be known by something, right? So live all in. Go all in. That is my big encouragement to you. And look, I'm going I'm to pray, but if you've never taking that next step of baptism. I'm going to encourage you to do that. It's a beautiful thing. We can march right down to the river today if you want. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. But if you've never taken that step, I encourage you to do that. Because that's saying to the world and to God, I'm all, in, I'm all in and I want to live all in. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful that you're good and powerful and you're mighty. We trust you, Father, to, 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 to step in, do powerful things in our lives. And we, we want to go all in and live all in. Lord, we're thankful for things like communion and baptism. There are these markers, these identity markers that help remind us that we're not only given new life and a new, new way to be human by you and your love, but also we're sustained week to week by your, by your provision for us. Lord, help us to be people who honor you and take your love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.